Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. Vortex Nation, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time you're watching or listening to this. We have in the house myself, Jimmy, and Mark, as usual. Probably don't even need to say that every single time, but I do usually. Uh, Ruben sitting across the table for me, and also Vortex Contractor, another man of mystery, yes. Justin, who is a new guest to the podcast, uh, but not new around this building. We've, we've known Justin for a bit yet, and uh, Justin brings with him a whole unique set of experiences uh, it, from a professional sense, and also uh, now I've uh, been working with us on a number of different things in regards to shooting and utilizing some pretty high-end long-range rifle scopes, rifles, um, different tools, and stuff like that. So when we had an episode a while back about reticles, and I think it was called Reticles 101 or something like that, where we kind of went through the whole gambit of your standard duplex reticle to BDCs to then some more complex reticles, we figured we would take a deeper dive into some of these more really complex is, is just the word that's coming to mind, but I don't want to intricate, technical, intricate, technical, technical reticles, busy, uh, <laughs> potentially busy. <laughs> yes. To some people, they'll certainly look at them and say that stuff that you can see in like our razor gen two, uh, long range rifle scopes or the AMG rifle scope PST may be in there as well. So we're talking about EBR seven C's. And now also when we did our last podcast, we didn't have the Horus options too. So we're going to chat a little bit about those guys. Reticles that look cool. I think in many cases people get them because they look cool. I would be lying if I said I didn't think that myself. But yeah, anyway, so we're going to just dive in on these. I've probably already talked too much. Justin, how about you introduce yourself though for now and then we'll, we'll go from there. Well, again, like you guys know, um, Justin just moved back to the area, kind of how I got linked up with you guys through the military, actually. Actually, I just got out this year, first of the year, and I was uh, stationed out in Colorado. So I have quite a bit of experience, both kind of on the instructional side and the employment side of the uh, reticles, in particular, the H-59 and also the Tremor 3. Yeah. And then, so coming coming from doing that, like you said, teaching people and instructing people the proper uses of these these technical reticles like this. Uh, what's your experience been? I'm sure you've gained a whole appreciation for how they work and all the little intricacies for them, but if somebody who's just getting into, just coming into using uh, scopes like this and reticles like this with a whole lot of features around them like this, what's kind of the, what's the barriers to that? What are some misconceptions that people oftentimes come in having um, and then how do you kind of get over some of that? A lot of the things I get like feedback wise is, uh, they're busy. They get lost in, lost in the reticle, but they're actually very simple to use once you get the hang of them. Hmm. Okay. So how can something, I, I gotta be honest, to hear somebody say they're simple to use, how can something that looks for those of you again, listening now, when we talk about stuff like the EBR7C or these Horus reticles, that's where you get these, uh, coined terms like the old Christmas tree, right? We're talking about, they got a lot of dots, they got dashes, they got stuff on the crosshairs in the stadia, they got stuff floating in the lower quadrants. How could something like that actually be simple to use? Well, it's just like with anything else, everything in the reticle means something. And for somebody for example, who's new to cooking, you may look at a recipe and think that's confusing. So it's hmm. kind of all kind of a, I don't know how you kind of perceive it. So anything's going to be, you know, complicated to somebody that they, they don't know. Mm-hmm. So as long as you kind of understand it, you're not exposed to it before, you know, you're 
you know, through the traditional like crosshairs. I mean, this is just at its very base, that's all it is. Yeah. So you just kind of have expound on that. Yeah. I think like coming from like a background of shooting, but like getting into long range when I came to Vortex, there was a lot of things that seemed, again, kind of seemed like overly complex. And um, I think Paul Neese broke it down to me one time and kind of said, like, if you look at a reticle, there's a lot of things that repeat themselves within a reticle. Like there might be three or four horizontal stadia marks on each horizontal stadia, but like they're each two M away or they're each one mil or whatever. And it's like, okay, you look at those and then, yeah, that's eight features in a reticle, but they're all a part of one functionality and be holding for wind. Then you look at the vertical stadia, right? It's like if there's a hundred features in a reticle, there's probably like only like four real functions. There's just a bunch of different values that correspond back to that kind of that function, right? Right. Like at first glance, a person might be like, holy mackerel, there's a lot of lines there. And you're like, well, yeah, there's a lot of lines, but they're actually all doing the same thing in essence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My buddy, uh, my buddy Eric called me one time. He's like, hey, Mark, I'm looking for a scope. And he goes, I don't need one of them damn Star Wars reticles either. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because that's the one I actually want. (laughs) Yeah. It is really interesting. Like you see, you got you kind of got down when you boil it down to the, uh, or you at least try to make these reticles simple, which it sounds like they can be. But when you boil it down, yeah, if you put something on a reticle anywhere, if you put anything in your field of view, as long as it can stay there consistently, you know, um, it's going to match up with something, right? Yeah. So as long as you can figure out what that lines up with. You know, you don't exactly have to know like every single measurement and all this stuff. I mean, that's how they did things back in the day with dope. And a guy would say, yeah, when something looks like this in my scope, maybe covers up this much of my reticle, I know that it's about this size, then I'm assuming it's at about this distance. And when, you know, it does that, I know that there's kind of like this one hash mark down here on my rifle scope that matches up with essentially where the bullet's going to drop. I mean, you just start doing this kind of... Like you, estimation you, work. I think we've all talked to Dave, local customer that's you know does a lot of long range like ELR shooting, right? Right. Got kind of a little gunsmithing shop built where he does a lot of work on his own guns and stuff. And um, Dave was telling me one time they were out at the range and doing this ELR shoot out in like Washington State or something. Probably one of the only reasons why anyone great would visit state. Washington State yeah, really. Otherwise, it's, big it's and open. Just raining. But um, anyways, so they're out out shooting and um, you know they're shooting like two miles, right? And uh, everybody gets lined up. And at the end of the day, they're all looking. This one guy that was actually having quite a bit of success, they go and, you know, everybody's looking at each other's rifles, kind of like, oh, what, what you shooting there? What you got there? And um, somebody gets down behind, you know, this other guy. We'll call him Greg. You know, they're like, Greg, what kind of rifle are you shooting? And it's like very simple, like didn't have a huge MOA base, you know, built in. Hmm. And uh, they're like, well, how, how are you hitting the two-mile target? Like that's insane and he's like well you know i used uh, my reticle i backed it out to this magnification it was like a second focal plane reticle so he had to calculate okay, the value right. mm-hmm. measured up to a rock on the mountain with his reticle and then zoomed in and aimed at the rock as his aiming point and this is a mountain in the background of the target right <laughs> so he actually gridded out the mountain in moa yeah. and then and then just aimed at that because that was a consistent aiming point yeah so yeah going exactly with what you said you just need consistency. Exactly. It's funny you mentioned that because when we had Jeff uh, Heeg in here earlier, we talked about on Long Range 1004, we talked about ELR shooting 
And he had actually mentioned, this was one of those kind of like post-podcast talks we're chatting, like we just like, everybody hangs up and it's kind of like, oh yeah, and then this, and it's like, dang it. Why did you say that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, but it was it was pretty cool. He was actually saying that in some ways, second focal plane can be somewhat advantageous to you because as you zoom out, you're essentially like, you know, let's say you're on a 12X and you zoom down to 4X. You've quadrupled yeah. the amount that each one of those hash marks corresponds to, you know? Yep. So you can almost like cheat a ton of elevation into your reticle. And the only thing that hurts you then is the magnification that you're lacking. Right, yeah, exactly. But yeah, absolutely. No, he's spot on. Anyway, but where do you start with somebody? Let's say somebody's coming in totally fresh, and they're like, you know, maybe they've, at least let's say they've been shooting before, but they've been shooting, you know, your typical hunting BDCs, maybe your duplexes, maybe some, like, very simple hash mark reticles. Like, we have one called the VMR1. It's just, like, a simple hash mark reticle. Where where do you start? Or even, you know, MilDot. Or MilDot, yeah. Where do, you, where do you start with somebody? Kind of like, do you just kind of throw them to the wolves right away? Like, this is how this works, this is how this works. Or do you like, how does that work? Try to break it down a little bit. We're not going to throw them inside the scope because looking through a scope itself, you're just going to get lost in there. Oh, really? Like transparencies, kind of like overlays, just like mm. handouts. Just print out what the actual reticle looks like. Talk through them. Like, hey, just point it, literally point at each little thing walk them through it step by step yeah but for example i came in earlier this year and went over uh the tremor 3 and h59 with some um people here and having an overlay with like targets and things like that actually manipulating that transparency on another like target oh sure yeah it's really like one of those old projector Mm -hmm. overhead yeah things that you put over a piece of paper absolutely just something like that to kind of walk them through it trying to explain everything and have them look through a scope and while you're trying to do that and have them actually trying to do that versus having an overlay it's a little bit more difficult right so especially if you're outside and you start and there's like grass in the way and you might be not seeing every single little dot or something well if you got yeah i mean if you got multiple people Number one, everybody can look at that at the same time, and you're seeing, you know you're seeing exactly what they're seeing. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You're moving that transparency over the top. Yeah, Otherwise, you're going to be looking, sense. is it the second slash from the left, and then you kind of get lost in there because you can't see what they do. Right. Yeah. So, but kind of use a whole crawl, walk, run method. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So, I want to get into talking about some of these. Like, so, you mentioned the Horus reticles. Those are two reticle options, the Tremor 3 and the H59 yeah. that we offer now, and the Gen 2 427. Uh, and then there's also then the EBR 7C that's kind of like the Vortex's. Um, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it has quite as many, if you look at it visually, it doesn't have quite as many things going on, but it's also still fairly technical. No, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> so what's kind of like, I know the, the Horus ones have a very almost specific use, don't they? Whereas like an EBR 7C is kind of, uh, it can it can be tailored to a number of different things, or is that how the Horus works? Because like, I remember when Ruben was explaining those to me, the Tremor 3 and the H59, they're almost like a like a milling like a, reticle meets a BDC, and yeah. they, like, had a kid or something, like a reticle yeah. kid. There's a lot going on in there, a lot of different features, but it all depends, I guess, what you're going to be using it for, like end state. Uh, for example, the EBR7 might be a lot better choice for, you know, maybe some competition shootings, even uh, more precise engagements than, say, like the, uh, you know... Tremor 3. Uh, the center dot in the EBR7s, I think, is 0.03 mm-hmm. diameter versus, say, maybe the H59, which is a 0.05. Yeah. 
I think. Okay. So it's a little bit more refining aiming point. But then all those other features you add in there as well that you may not necessarily need in the EBR7. Yeah. There's, you know, moving rapid engagement techniques in there and uh, <laughs> uh, wind dots, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> right, right. But uh, time of flight, you know, however you want to use that reticle versus, I don't know, like an EBR7 or EBR2 even. Yeah. So I think a lot of times, too, people look at a different reticle. And they, you know, it's kind of like, Jimmy, I'm going to steal your uh, your car reference here. I'm going to do Go the first it. car I'll reference of the episode. Yeah, you'll probably have a problem with it, though. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the... Uh, as long as you don't say anything about a Chevy in a, in a positive light, I'm fine. I'm just saying, you're right. I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> I've just alienated 50% of our yeah. There you go. It's like... <laughs> you go to a car lot, and you're like, you don't just drive up to the car lot and be like, well, look at this, I got 500 options. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. if you go to the car lot looking for a truck, no, no, you're looking at trucks. And now what within trucks do I need? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't drive up and, like, there's, there's, like, 500 cars on the lot plus whatever they can make you with all the options if you custom order it. No, like, if you go looking for a minivan, you're not also looking at trucks at the same time and being like, well, should we get that one? No, it's like it's not a minivan, which you wouldn't get if you don't have kids. You know, people do willingly choose to buy minivans. And they're pretty nice, but um, when you're looking, gosh, you've when you're looking soft. for a minivan, you're you're wishing that you're I can looking do at the trucks. with a minivan. Yeah, you do. But when you're looking at all these different reticles, hey, you can lay some rubber with that thing. You're okay? losing me. I know they're fast. That's the, I just I hate everything about minivans. Practical and, and one tactical. of the things that I hate about minivans <laughs> is the fact that they're kind of hard to hate. Yeah. Right. You know, I think the one redeeming factor is you can get a lot of guns in the back of one. True. You know, what were we talking about? In a very, in a very, uh, in a very <laughs> unassuming way. Yeah, absolutely. Put yeah. the little stickers on the back. You know, the stick people stickers. wasn't mm. a vin- wasn't a minivan, but I mean, uh, look at the eighteen. They're yeah. doing some work. When you look at reticles, so, <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay, you, you're you're looking at like a purpose built thing that is going to do what you need it to do. You know, perfect example if you if you take like a an SR twenty five AR ten whatever you want. And, and you're looking at all these different reticles out there, and it's like, okay, well, I have this gun, and then you look at a platform, you know, like a, pro- a platform like that, and then what available optics and reticles there are out there. Now that choice for, you know, H59, Tremor 3, or EBR7C is it's a lot more refined. Mm. And you look at what you can do, especially with, with like a reticle that was designed around a platform like that or a cartridge like that for the you know, for that rapid engagement technique with the reticle or for, like, all of our floating features on the 7C. Well, now that starts to make a lot more sense. So really when people look at all these options and get overwhelmed, they're looking at a sample of way too many. They need to be looking at something more specific and and purpose-built. I see. Because a lot of those features actually have limiting um, capabilities. So uh, like he was talking about, you know, the rapid engagement technique or the movers, that... If someone wants to use those features at extended range, it doesn't apply. At, at you know, certain ranges, it's just going to fall off. For example, I think the mover leads is only good to around, roughly around 400-ish. And I believe the you know, rapid engagement technique is only good for around 600-ish. This is in the Horus reticles, particularly. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. particularly for yeah. those. So again, if someone's like, well, I want to buy that or I want to use that, and then... Oh, I can use this now, this mover, uh, you know, or whatever, you know, mm. at extended ranges, then it's just going to kind of fall off at that point. Yeah. So it doesn't really apply at all then. Within 600 yards, this is the part where I, I feel like 
going to just dive in at some point, right? Within like 600 yards, 400 yards, whatever. Like those things are pretty, they're pretty incredible. I got to admit, like as far as how they work and how they've been laid out and everything, like you look at that thing and and one immediate look at it, if you're not intimately familiar with it. And you're speaking to the horse reticles, right, Jim? Yes. Yes. So like H59, trimmer three, um, I know there's, there's more options. These are the ones that I've become at least remotely familiar with. One quick glance and you'd be like, well, no way. I would never get that. And then as some people start explaining to you, know, so there's like these little dashes above the horizontal stadia. So these are in the top two quadrants. And those correspond to like there's a certain target size. And if you can bracket the certain target size and those things, you get an immediate, you get an immediate essentially holdover for it. Yeah. And then you just kind of like bring your holdover over and then like, you know, take that shot. And then you at, at the same time have these, wind dots going out from that point or time of flight dots or whatever, you know. But in my experience, that application is very limited. Is it? Okay. <laughs> but yes, like what you were saying, it's just to get rounds on target as fast as possible. So It's that, not going to be a idea. point of aim, point of impact type of thing. It's just going to be in the general vicinity of. So It's based on a certain size and type of target. Yeah, right. So, something, something that's a little bit maybe more n- flexible than steel. Yeah. It's a firing yeah. reticle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, that's it's exactly kind of what thing, it's designed right? for. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of things too is like people say, well, that never applies to me because I'm never going to do this or I'm never going to deploy. But I mean, when we're shooting steel targets, a lot of times we're shooting silhouette targets. We're shooting, you know, twelve inch round targets, whatever they might be. You know, yeah, a lot of times we're shooting, you know, whatever you would call like an inanimate or like a, just a a shape target. But mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of a lot of our customers need to be able to use a certain type of product in a certain type of application that may be real world if they were ever called upon to do that. Yeah. The mover holdovers on those reticles goes out to like 60 miles an hour, right? Have you ever gotten to do that in like a regular civilian role? Uh, I mean, not in a civilian <laughs> role. Um, <laughs> I've never gotten to use it in any Am capacity. Am I right on that? There's one hash mark like on the horizontal state that's like way they do, out there. They do go way like out there. When 60. you like, have on full magnification, I think it goes out to maybe like 10 or 8. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But then when you back off magnification, then on the horizontal stadia line, that it really reaches out there. Yeah. So I think it, it gets up there. That's for when your steel target is on wheels. <laughs> Perfect. I personally okay, haven't so used it. I, <laughs> I, I always say perfect example, and really, truly, there is no perfect example unless it's the actual example. But um, I did employ a moving target lead of 20 miles an hour on uh, doing some coyote hunting this year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, awesome. it's you've not sa- just, you you've know. You've said that, that those, were you using one of the, the horse reticles in that? Oh, you, yeah, well, it would make sense because yep. you just said that you're using the, um, you've said that those wind up being pretty good predator hunting. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, and, and like if you're looking at the uh, the way that the some of the manuals are written in the civilian world, like they reference a javelina target, um, you know, and it's like 10 inches, right? 10 or 12 inches what target is a height. A uh, javelina Col- would be like collared, a... Collared peccary, Jim. A peccary, yeah. It's like a pig. It's kind of like Pig's a pig. A, pig in Arizona. Why didn't you just say Texas pig to start with? <laughs> what is the difference between them? Like they... There's a lot different, I guess. I don't want to get into that, but they look like a pig. Okay. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're they're in the family. Yeah. But like coyote, top of back to like bottom of rib cage, you can kind of use that too to the same way you would use like a ten inch tall target, which measures up, you know, somewhere something like that. We can actually so when use you just, that. You moved your hands. So it was like top of shoulders to the top of the 
yeah. uh, head. Top of the dome, yeah. All right. But uh, So you can actually use that reticle to estimate range on predator targets, game targets, whatever you might want to. And what's cool about it is I always kind of bring it back to application. When speed is necessary, that's something that really helps. And a lot of people mm-hmm. would be like, you know, well, I don't need that to coyote hunt. And no, you don't need it to coyote hunt. But if I'm out on a range and I don't have a lot of time to range that target, but I just need to make an effective shot to dispatch the animal ethically, that's going to be within that 600-yard range. That's going to be more than enough accuracy, especially a lot of times considering, you know, the type of uh, cartridges we're using, hunting varmints, they typically go down pretty easy. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, you know, I mean, you may not be using those features on the first shot, but yep. if, you, if you're coyote hunting and you call in a double or a triple or mm-hmm. you're hunting hogs, yeah, the first shot might be standing, but the next ones aren't going to be. In order to use that reticle the way that you're explaining using it, do you also then have to keep your turrets on zero? Like, you, you don't you don't want to dial your turrets, do you? No, you would want to use it on a, yeah, centered up. So you would just, you, would, you wouldn't touch the turrets, you would just wind up using the holdovers? Yep. Okay, gotcha. And you, you know, you can use... Like, is it the time of flight dots that you could actually dial out to and they would still be? Those are going to be, well, they're graduated. You look right. at them, they're kind of graduated down. The old Christmas so, tree style yeah. look or whatever. Yeah. So when you dial on there now, that's going to change that value. But if you do, like, uh, what is it, dial on five mils then, and yep. it's like half value yeah, or something right. like that, or you dial okay. on 10 mils now, then it's like quarter value. Hmm. So for me, it'd be just don't dial. <laughs> I was going to say, do <laughs> Just leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Best, and that was best out. practices if you're going to be using well, that reticle, then. I'm just not good at math, so. We were out uh, <laughs> doing some uh, prairie dog hunting last summer on uh, on route to the Vortex Extreme, and I got the chance to shoot with some guys that are friends of mine. They're based down in Georgia, and we actually got to go out and shoot. And I saw a Tremor 3 utilized, I would say, very closely to what the potential is of what it was designed for Mm -hmm. on kind of like a a range with those targets that are constantly moving, constantly at unknown distances. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a precise, super, super precise tool, but it it gets rounds where they need to be. Yeah. And so essentially you would just see something pop up or move out or whatever or expose itself, and then you would bracket it in. Yeah, I mean, think think of a prairie dog sitting up. Right? Yeah, it's not all that different from measuring top of a coyote's back to its belly or top of shoulders to the top of the head. Yeah, so you just, I mean yeah. a full a full grown prairie dog is probably about ten inches. Yeah, 12 no, they're, inches, they're, you know, they're ten right to sixteen in there. inches. Yeah, yep. mm. so you just bracket it and then just put it in the corresponding yeah holdover. So to anyone who thinks that maybe oh I would never utilize those features or be able to utilize that well if you hunt varmints or you're out shooting a match or unknown target distance range, you can, you can utilize them. Mm-hmm. So not every, not every reticle of course has these holdovers like the horse ones that we've been talking about, or mm-hmm. as far as, um, that's, that's mostly referring to like, uh, accounting for ballistic drop, right? Yeah. So that, and that's kind of where we talked about the fact that these are almost like a quasi BDC milling reticle because it does yeah. have those rapid engagement kind of brackets. And then you can quick reference those, you know, okay, if it's in the, uh, first, little bracket that means that I hold all the way down, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and kind of how um, that kind of how that works in regards to it being a BDC would be more like a a 223 with a match bullet and a 308 with a match bullet are going to perform very similarly in terms of drop out to 600 yards, right? 
a 300 wind mag and a 6.5 Creedmoor are going to perform very similarly to one another mm-hmm. um, out to certain distances. You know, once we get past that, things start, one bullet shines over the other. But when we're within that distance, and if we're being honest about the distance that a lot of our shots are taken at, they're very usable. And you can do the same with uh, many other reticles that we would call like a technical reticle. If you know like the, the mill value of your target at different distances, you can, again, kind of use that to, to bracket and figure out where a lot of those reticles shine is kind of on a second round correction where, you know, if you shoot and you pictured like sometimes the best way to explain it would be if you were looking through a spotting scope and you put like a, an Excel graph, like a bar graph in the background yeah. and you bracket out the whole image. It's like playing, playing Battleship. Yep. And you take a shot and you see that bullet get pushed off from your from you know the way that gravity is pulling it straight down and you see the wind pull it off and to the right okay now i look on that graph when i'm aiming at the target that i was aiming at or the point of Im- point of aim where i was aiming and now i see where that bullet impacted now i go to that point in the graph pull the whole image up to where that impact was and make use that as my my correct and you know my correction shot it's that simple yeah, I mean, looking hmm. at where you're missing, because you know, a lot of times if you can, if you can do it fast enough, you know, yeah. within a couple of seconds, usually, I mean, your your wind and all the atmospherics, the external factors of ballistics can, you know, fairly, you can usually get pretty close. Right. So the rapid engagement kind of gets you there, close enough yeah. at least, and then also the whole grid system allows you the chance to then make any fine tunings later yeah. on if need be. Especially if you don't have like a spotter. Yeah. It's going to make that second round correction a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's where, too, like shooting form that we talked about in a couple other podcasts comes into play big time as well. You know, like you don't want to be the kind of person where you take a shot and immediately like get off your scope or whatever or flinch big time or something. You got to you gotta stay inside the scope when you shoot, right? That, I mean, that follow through is important to be able to spot kind of your own shot yeah, and see exactly. what happened in the end. Yeah, and then like to speak, you know, to the strengths of like an EBR-7C, you know, that reticle, we've had the EBR-2, EBR-2B, 2C, kind of depends on what scope it's in and some of the different variations within that, right? And then we have, like, the EBR-7B, uh, which I believe is in the AMGs, and now the EBR-7C, which is kind of our most recent fine-tuned iteration of our, you know, the enhanced battle reticle, right? And that reticle, we incorporate some .2 hash marks in the scope, which help us to... Um, not only give a finer tuned point of aim when dealing with wind, but also kind of having those mover holds um, for moving targets in a thicker, you know, I guess you would say like a, a thicker stadia feature, and then having those point twos instead of point fives, right? Because now I can get I can get over twice as precise by having a point two instead of a point five hash mark. Yeah, speaking in terms of mills, right? Right, so. and that's on the kind of the outer, on the horizontal uh, yep. crosshair kind of. Towards yeah. the outer edges, where it's not down in the dots. This right. is up. This is up like on the t- oh, the main bars. MC Ryan's coming through. Oh, look the at clutch. this MC Ryan, big oh, time. Geez. And in. then, and then I guess to my understanding with that room, there because, you go, YouTube. Because they're on the outside, <laughs> right? I mean, you're probably not as Sorry, making at that at point it, huh? as you know gross of a 
correction. Is that is that kind of why they're a little right. bit more fine-tuned there? So having these, these would be the 0.2 hash marks on the upper side, and these would be the 0.5s on the lower side. And like I said, thicker, the, the 0.5s are yeah. thicker, which a lot of times with a moving target hold um, will give us the ability to make a, you know, a lot of times it's an estimation anyways. So having that point where it's more bold, but then having the connection point be a thinner feature, right? Mm-hmm. And it helps us to make that, that moving target hold e- even better. So now that we have a visual representation in front of us as well here, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. So first question I'll ask here. So on the 7C, we have a floating center dot yep. in the very middle. What's what's the deal with floating center dots, open centers, just closed centers like a, a regular crosshair? What, yeah, what comes into play there? Why are there so many differences? That actually is one of the things that has changed several times, right? Yeah. In regards to it's, like... It's been the responsible thing for Bs and Cs and yep. Qs and Cs. And uh, with the XLR reticle in our uh, HSLR scope that Mark has had a lot of really good success with, as have a lot of our long-range customers, with that, like having that center dot gives us a really, really fine aiming point. Okay, and so rather than having that open center, which we have had in Gen 2 razors, that open center can almost... One thing that's really beneficial is open center at long distance allows us to aim at a smaller target without covering up more of the target with a reticle feature. Sure. Right? Um, but having that center dot, now, now when we're establishing a perfect zero... That's where it's really helpful, right? Because we do know that, like, on the AMGs and on the Gen 2 PSTs and on the Gen 2 Razors, we do have that infinite amount of adjustments. We can fine-tune, right? We don't have 10th mil clicks. You can literally fine-tune. Are you talking about, yeah, when you're zeroing, when you you're zeroing the zero stop, and, it, yeah, just, yeah, you're adjusting the reticle, but there's no clicks. So when we're establishing that zero, which everything else is built off of, shooting long range, you know, if we're off by two-tenths at 1,000 yards, that's a significant amount of, uh, in, in terms of inches, that's a significant amount of miss, right? Yeah. And so uh, having that fine center dot allows us to establish the perfect zero point. It also gives us an aiming point at long range because if we were thinking about this gap here from the center dot to that first point two hash mark, there isn't a lot that we can use to hold, uh, you know, in terms of there's not there's not enough detail there where we can actually make a, a measured hmm. uh, adjustment at longer range. So having that center dot allows us to know exactly where our zero is for establishing it and then also if we're shooting a very small target distance or s- small target but at um, intermediate distance, we can also be more precise on our shot placement. You look at a lot of like the rim fire uh, competitions. I think some of the like with the uh, the NRL in terms of rim fire, they shoot an aspirin sized target at a hundred yards. That's insanely small. That's probably about the size of that center dot when we when we actually go and measure it out. Yeah. If you have a floating if, uh, an open center, you won't be able to see it, or you won't be able to aim precisely. Right. Enough. You'd be able to see it if you have an actual crosshair. You know, like the the EBR seven original one had that fine crosshair in the center. Even so, that was not enough in terms of precision. It's probably covering up a covering up a lot thing. of the target. So having that very fine center dot um, will allow us to actually establish the best zero and then be precise in shot placement. Let me ask you this. When you look at a reticle and you see the uh, numbers extending out on the horizontal and, and vertical, now I'm talking in the um, out to the sides and then up on the on the upper quadrants or the upper half of the reticle. I mean, these go out, so I guess we're looking at an M-Rad reticle right now, right? This would be a mil reticle, yep. Okay. 
So they go all the way out to like 10 mils, for example. And when you're within one to four mils on the, I'm talking about, uh, actually, yeah, when you're within one to four mils going out to the sides and then going up too, uh, you have what appear to be 0.25, well, like 0.2, so 0.5, 0.2 whatever. is on the high end. Yeah. And then these would be 0.5 increments going up top. Well, so once you get out to the very, very edges, you just get these super fine little tiny 0.1 mil hash yep. marks. Do you ever use those? What are those What are those marks way out there on the edges used for? Are Justin just- can probably go into a little bit deeper detail, but a 0.1 hash mark would be really effective if we were milling a target at longer range. Yeah, so that being said, <laughs> um, when you mill, you want to be as accurate as, you know, as possible. And milling is essentially like ranging with your reticle, right? Exactly. You're okay. just going to measure it out apply the math, and do the calculations, and then you'll get your corresponding hold. And you can do that with the width of a target. doesn't matter. You can do that with the height of a target, just as long as you know what measurement that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would need to know the so. actual measurement in, in terms of inches, centimeters, whatever, how big that target was in, an, in a nominal value. Right. Because we'll come back and use an so angle. Three things you need These to know. These are all .1s up here as well then? Yep. There's three things you need to know in shooting. It's the size of the target the angle at which you're essentially aiming your barrel at to arc it there, and then the distance from you to the target, right? Yeah. It's kind of like triangulation. If you know, like... You need to know two of three. Yeah, what you're getting at with milling a target is, I know the size of the target, and I know the angle at which that target takes up by milling it, by Mm -hmm. putting it between two different hash marks, and then by that, I'm going to get the third thing, which is the distance. Yep, you need to know two of three. Yeah. So you can use that... If you know the distance to a target and you know how, how much it measured in your reticle by using these features, then you can actually do that backwards and determine the size of the target. Yeah. Right? So a lot of times, and I had asked this question to Paul Neese down uh, in our customer engagement department. Mark, you might know, like, in Alaska, you need to be pretty careful when you're measuring the size of a bull, right? You know, oh, man. Estimating a bull yeah. elk, right? Or a bull moose, sorry. And so a lot of times, you, you know, whether if you're in an area where you have to shoot a 60-inch ball, you could range find to that target, and then you could measure it with the reticle and see how it measured up. And you could actually convert that back to an inch value. Now, it's tough because a lot of the times those guys don't hold still for well, you. Well, yeah, they don't but always. honestly, you can get a really close. And I, was, I tell you what, though, if you got a question mark in that situation, you're either just yeah. not shooting. Right. So you're either taking the time to do, and I never even thought about doing that kind of calculation to figure out, because like you said, mm-hmm. in a lot of areas in Alaska, there's a 50-inch minimum for, uh, for moose. And I, I, I guess case in point, I'll bring up a, an anecdote, but I was fortunate enough to go moose hunting with some buddies this last fall. We were actually in an any bull unit, so you could shoot any bull. But one thing that became very obvious to me being out there and getting to look at a handful of moose was the fact that being able to tell a 45 inch moose from a 50 inch moose or even from you know 45 to 50 very difficult in the field you know I mean unless it I mean I'm going off me and my limited experience up there but unless you're just pro at judging those things unless it's a true giant you're probably better laying off instead of getting in trouble, right? Yeah. But because they're all huge. Because they're all huge. My buddy killed a bull that was like 40, low 40s. And at first glance, I was like, that's a 50-inch bull. And that was 10 inches, you know, yeah. essentially 10 inches off. So anyway, 
That you really could, good point that I never thought about. In theory, you could use something yeah. like that, but you need to know two of the three, right, to calculate yeah. that. The other thing that's cool is if we're on a like an unknown target distance range or unknown distance target range, uh, we're shooting targets that we may know the size of them, but we may not know the size of them. So if you go out and let's just say you're able to use a range finder, range the target, go back, measure the target in mils or MOA, and then come up with an inch value, we can actually look at and now know the size of the target. And if we know the limitations of our gear, maybe our ammunition, how accurate it is, our rifle, how accurate it is, we can choose to make the attempt to hit that target or not. Like, Because what I'm getting at is if we were at a, a, a distance that we know the distance, and let's just say uh, I ask Mark, like, hey, do you think you could hit a, a six-inch target at... 800 yards if you were like well i'm not sure okay now we can go back and uh, decide if we should take that shot whether it be a you know actually like a real world application or uh, it be something where uh, we're just out on the range trying to yeah. to figure out the limitations of our gear one thing nice about this particular reticle with those 0.1 uh, increments starting at that uh, four mil line if you have like 0.1s now you have 0.05 because you can just you know obviously take the center of that and you know divide it in half which is nice especially when you're you know accuracy and right oh sure know, yeah yeah so in the in the lower two quadrants now let's i know we've, we've mentioned these a number of times quadrants quadrants now if you're if you're you. only listening right now you should probably tune in because we're looking you we're, should probably yeah, click on the youtube video because we're using a visual aid exactly we're using a visual aid right now we're looking at a giant cutout of an ebr 7c We'll we'll continue to do our best to to lay it out for you listeners out there and, and paint the audio visual picture. So now we're talking about the lower two quadrants, the lower half of the reticle. We've discussed these these windage dots, these Christmas tree dots, these time of flight dots a couple of times now, and that's kind of a characteristic that you see a lot of times in like first focal plane long range reticles. You've seen it in our XLR, you've seen it in our EBR two seven CBA whatever. You see in the Horus ones where they call it, you know, that grid system. Now, I think a lot of people see those and they just think, you know, wind dots, right? So, like, somehow they correspond to wind, which I'm sure they can or do. What are you using all those things for? What's the what's the main thing? What kind of... I may revert back to the Horus reticles because I have a lot more experience using those. Yeah, than, go say, for like it. the EBR-7. However, like... With those reticles versus, like I said, not very familiar with the EBR-7 yet, <laughs> but with the Tremor 3, it has those, uh, if you, you know, you look below the horizontal stadia line, it has those uh, dots, and they mm-hmm. kind of go out. It also has hash marks on there. So those dots, you can actually true them so you can find out what value in miles per hour they represent. In miles per hour for, like, wind miles per hour? Yes. Or? Okay. Yes. So depending on the caliber and muzzle velocity and things like that, you can now take those dots and assign them a corresponding mile per hour value in wind. Hmm. So there's a process, you know, to do that. And then you can, you know, use uh, whatever ballistic software you have to, you know, input all that. And then yeah. you get the, get, you get the value that way, which is pretty handy. Cause now you're like, okay, well it's a, you know, five mile an hour wind. I just have to put that dot on that target. The five mile an hour. And the dot. other, and yes. the other option would be, Using, using a Kestrel, some sort of wind-gathering device, right? We could go back and measure the wind, then go input that into our ballistic calculator, and we would get a mill hold, 
for different wind values, right? If you were, and what I'm, what I'm getting at is that you would have to know, okay, I'm using, I'm at 680 yards. My wind value is this many mils. Okay, at 880 yards, it's a different wind value. The beauty of those wind dots or time of flight dots is that once you determine what your drop is for the different distances, those wind dots don't change in terms of like how far the target is. It, and they're graduated out, right? So they're increasing in value. So if it's this many, you know, if it's four mile per hour wind, it doesn't matter what distance it's at. That's a four mile, four, eight, 12, 16. It goes all the way out to the edges. So you don't have to then go and get a mill value wind and hold on that mill like feature or MOA feature. This is basically where we, where, where this looks most like a BDC is that once you've trued those, it turns it into a mile per hour. Oh, whereas, okay, when you're looking at something like an EBR7C, which, again, we have here as a visual aid, those aren't mm-hmm. that way. Those are those correspond to a mil value. Mil value, yep. So you those don't correspond to a mile per hour value of wind. Mm-mm. How do you use these, then? You would, like I said, you, you would, would do the reverse. You, rain, you range your target. Yeah. You enter in your mile per hour wind. However yes. fast the wind is blowing. Oh, and then it's going to give, and then you, it's a gonna give you a mil value, and you would go onto this grid, and right here is your, you know, one, two, three mil hold. Or so this oh, is two, one. This would be your four mil down, but then this is like three mils of wind. This would be one, two, three, four mils of wind. Gotcha. And that just kind of adds in one more step to it. It's so just it makes another it a little step. Bit less, yep. A little bit less rapid again, right? You're taking a step out whenever you have a BDC, right? Because you're mm-hmm. you're kind of assuming that that value is going to be close to what you need. Yeah. Yeah. BDC or like a WDC. It's a, it's actually really cool when you get behind it. And it's, it's one of those things I always hate to say, like you just got to try it because a lot of people aren't going to be able to yeah, just right, go, just right. try it. Right. But when you get behind a system that has certain functionality built into it for a certain weapons platform and a certain application, you know, oftentimes it becomes very apparent why something was designed the way it was. Mm-hmm. So I'll just taking a step out. Steps take time, for sure. Yeah. When you look at these, and once, like you said, once you actually start using them, they get a little bit less intimidating. But when you first start looking at it, it's easy to just get lost in those things. Oh, totally. And you can obviously still dial them, and just shoot off the center reticle. Yep. What do yeah. you, so like, of all the people out there who need precision rifle scopes, like let's let's say let's say somebody's somebody's looking to get a new rifle scope, and they're going to be shooting long range. A lot of people out there say, and I know I dog on the forums all the time, so uh, I'm going to dog again. You know, you head to the forums, and it's like, hey, I need a long range rifle scope. And people are like, oh, FFP or die. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, you got to get the one with the Horus or the Christmas tree or whatever. You, you need it. Mm-hmm. Does everybody actually need it? you like... Does it, is, if is you the need question it, you I'm need asking, it. <laughs> I feel like I'm teeing it up for like the answer that I'm looking for. Yeah. But, I, but like at the same time, I feel like it, it is the correct answer. Is like, it's like, do you, I think a lot of people get a reticle like this. I'm not trying to bash them or anything because like, I mean, if you get a Gen 2 razor, you're going to get a reticle like that. Yeah. Just, that's just the way it comes. Yep. And, you know, you might want a Gen 2 razor because it's phenomenal optically and it has great turrets, great zero stop, all that other stuff. You know, but like, that's not like the do or die, right? No, That's what I'm uh, getting at. I, I guess I'll say it like this, and Justin, you can cut in here anytime. <laughs> if you need it, you need it. Yeah, you know, and and you'll find out that if you buy what 
you know, everyone is suggesting for, you know, without, if someone doesn't get info about your, per, your particular activity and they just say you need this, generalizing. They're not giving mm-hmm. you a specific good example. Like I have uh, two Gen 2 Razor, four and a half to 27s that are EBR1. Okay. Just a crosshair with some vertical and horizontal. Their first hash focal marks. plane still though, right? First focal plane, yeah. yeah I, I don't have all, I don't have all of this. Yeah. All right, it's just this and this, and those are two of my favorite reticles to shoot, because if we get back to that point within my preparation, getting ready for a shoot or getting ready to go to the range for a day, if I've got a chronograph and I know a lot of the information, you know all the external factors like. Wind, humidity, uh, you know, density, altitude, uh, barometric pressure, all that stuff. And I'm dialing for my shots. This is all irrelevant. Mm-hmm. If I know my elevation drop, this is irrelevant. Yeah. Everything above and below is irrelevant. If I have a rangefinder that can accurately range my target, and I know that my my um, elevation data is good. I'm working on this horizontal thing here, right? Yeah. So so telling somebody you need all this is like, yeah, well, if you don't <laughs> know what your gun is doing, then, yeah, you better have a grid there so you can see where in these four pie slices you're impacting sure. and correct for it. But I think, I mean, I still have those two scopes, even though we've got seven Cs and two Cs and... H-59s and Tremor 3s, those are still mounted up on two of my rifles that I shoot very often. Well, in the same breath, and like what Jim was saying, you know, some of these scopes, they just come with it. And just because you may not use a particular feature or reticle feature also doesn't mean that's still not the right scope for you with the other host of features that it comes with. You know, we talk about the XLR that I've used quite a bit, right? But in every situation I've used it, I dial my elevation, right? So I don't I don't use the windage tree. I'm not using these holds. I've used the horizontal cross yeah. uh, or the horizontal hash references if I've got somebody calling wind for me. Um, yep. And again, you talk about, well, do or don't you need first focal plane? That's a situation where it's nice to have first focal plane if you've got somebody calling good wind for you. And I don't want to, I don't want to play a disadvantage to the people who are just listening, but if, uh, if you're listening, what I'm doing is I'm just utilizing the, the image of the reticle here. But uh, if if I'm out on the range and I have time to range the target, go to my Kestrel or my cell phone and pull up my app and look at my drop, you know, mm-hmm. due, to, due to gravity out at longer distances, I'm utilizing most of the information on that horizontal stadia, right? Like I'm not necessarily worried too much about stuff above it or below it. Right. And I can dial. Now, what happens when right. I have, what happens when time now is a factor? That's mm-hmm. the big thing, as you When say. time yeah. becomes a factor, same with first and second focal plane, yes. time oftentimes is the limit, limiting factor where it's like, okay, you don't have time, you know, for playing like, yeah. what if, okay, what if you do this and you have to shoot this target, but you, you only have 10 seconds to do it now instead of 30. Yeah. Look at a sport like F-Class where they're, Oftentimes, and, and Ian, I apologize, but oftentimes these guys are given 20 minutes, 20 minutes to shoot a, an array of targets. Yeah, and now, their target has all the ballistics information on the it. The target has the ballistics, so we're using a very simple anything. type of reticle, yeah. and, and I understand like a lot of the factors that go into what they're dealing with now. They might wait for the clouds to go in front of the yeah. sun. They might wait 10 minutes before they fire a shot in hopes that the wind dies down. An incredibly technical sport. Right it, is, it is so far above my head in terms of how technical it is 
because they're shooting at extreme distances with uh, a lot of times, you know, like if you're shooting FTR, like uh, Ian has won a couple of championships in, uh, FTR is like a 308, right? So a period cartridge, ballistically <laughs> inferior. Yeah. Once one day <laughs> okay, they'll find Jim. out about the 6.5 Creedmoor. Uh, well, if you'd like to defend a Chevy or the 308, comment below. Yeah. 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 Mark will give you my address too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark's the only person here that shoots wind ma- uh, wisdom. Anyways, the so yeah, right. So now that time Winchester is just <laughs> her shoulder masher. <laughs> <laughs> so if that time is now a factor, now let's just say we don't have time to dial, and now we need horizontal values for wind. Yeah, if we're needing to hold for that value. So same with you know second focal plane, kind of like we were talking earlier. If I'm going to go out to the range and nobody's telling me how fast I have to go and that animal isn't moving away from me and getting away and, you know, like I'm out on the range just trying to shoot bullseyes, you know, a lot of those guys do actually like a second focal plane scope because that reticle can appear more fine. Yeah. So if you need it, you need it. But if you don't, you don't. Well, I'd imagine, too, like if you're in a scenario like in a spotter shooter scenario where you are communicating and whoever's behind the gun is making, like you said, time is of the essence and you're making, you know, rapid corrections, engaging potentially multiple targets to be able to stay in the optic the entire time, not look up, not dial. Yeah. It's just going to aid in that, in that speed quite a bit as well. I feel like I've had a revelation, if that's the right word. No, I'm, I'm right there but with I you, Jim. Like, I know what you're saying. I feel like now discussing this and when Ruben you started getting into kind of some of these differences and like a person that would might might need a more technical reticle versus somebody who might not or first focal plane versus somebody who might just need second focal plane or whatever a lot of the advancements in rifle scope especially like when it comes down to the reticle designs technologies and stuff a lot of it boils down to time and saving time in the field when you're shooting I mean, look at the old, like, duplex reticles. It was like, hey, that's great. You got a crosshair. Boom, we can use that. But then somebody was like, you know, I wish I had, when something comes out kind of quick and I don't have time to dial, I wish I just had, like, another little hash mark down there that corresponded to, like, you know, 200 yards. And then, you know, that was kind of like the BDC. And then somebody was like, well, you know, and if I had a couple of windage lines, I could just kind of reference those real fast and just kind of, and then you had windage lines. And then you had the old mill dot system, which a lot of people uh, think is like a ballistic drop system, but that was designed to actually uh, range targets. And somebody thought, I'm sure, like, well, I, I've acquired a target inside my rifle scope. I don't know how far it is, but as soon as I, you know, like, get off the scope and get a range finder or do something to range the target, I Darn get back thing's in the scope. gone. Oh, gee, <laughs> gee, dang it. You know, and then and then things just keep evolving, and, and you kind of look at those those Horus reticles and, and, uh, and stuff like this, like the EBR-7C and whatnot, and as far as, like, you know, physical glass-etched reticles and things like that, they've taken in, like, every single advancement that's happened in reticle history to like make this ultimate rapid user interface it's pretty crazy no i mean i couldn't agree with you more and like i said it almost takes the uh you know spotter out of the equation (laughs) so yeah yeah and when we talk about spotters too i mean yeah uh you know a lot of times we see guys at the vortex extreme i've paid pretty close attention to the teams that you know will win that right uh, and, and even watching other uh, sniper championships like uh, like Mammoth or the International Sniper Competition, anytime those guys are in a two-man team, like 
Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, but like they're running the same reticle as their partner is. It's, right. It's you imperative know. that you, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be on two complete, not even in the same page. Yeah. So, it's like speaking yeah, like zero, yeah. you'd be zero help. Yeah. You're like, but, and if can. you can, if you have, you know, let's just say you have two guys laying down next to each other in, in the field, like one guy here, one guy here, and um, they're both aiming at the same target. And if they were doing something where, like, they dialed their elevation and, um, you know, guy one shoots. Now, guy two is aiming at the target and watches on his reticle where guy one's impact is. Mm-hmm. Now he goes, okay, I just go up to that point because I know that I know where he was aiming. Oh, well, so you're, okay, so what you're saying is, yeah. If you're shooting the same firearm with the same dope. Same, mm-hmm. yeah, general stuff and the same dope, yeah. So you would you would almost literally just, like, you're watching his shot, but you're immediately preparing for your shot by just keeping your crosshairs on the target where you want to hit the target and then just waiting to see if he, maybe he hits the target, right? Yep. But otherwise, maybe he misses and you just yeah. see that splash. And, and those two guys are communicating the whole time, like, hey, what's your hold? Okay, I'm holding one mil for wind. All right, cool. Boom, impact. And I watched it last year at the Vortex Extreme with, like, uh, Dylan and Garrett winning uh, the AR division, mm-hmm. right? Those guys ran the same reticle on their rifles, uh, and they ran the same rifles. Their dope was really close. Their rifles were, th- were within 20 feet per second of each other, shooting the same ammo, et cetera. And um, watching those guys work as a team was cool because Dylan would go up and be like, all right, I'm going to hold a mill left. Boom, and it was impact, and then Garrett just held the same thing. Yeah. Right. You know, so uh, that that was really cool, you know, and they and then like guy one misses, guy guy two looks and goes, Okay, you were, you know, you were a half a mil off the right edge. All right, now guy two corrects for that. And then hypothetically, if you had that situation and they were shooting each target, let's just say twice, like we did at the Vortex Extreme last year, you know, each target each team is gonna engage every target four times collectively, mm-hmm. right? As the as the team, right? Four engagements. Hypothetically, if they're doing it quickly and efficiently, if shot one was a miss and shot shooter two spotted that miss, shot three, uh, two, three, and four should be impacts. Right. Yeah. And again, you're yeah. talking about speed. Like, yep. that's communication between two guys, and the second guy is yep. gaining a lot of speed off the data from the first guy. Yep. Eric and I were out there with the same gun, same scope, same ammo, same everything, but it I did not have the mental fortitude to <laughs> to do what Ruben was talking about. It's, it's difficult, actually. I mean, maybe it's just like I wasn't thinking about it because I was in the moment or whatever. Well, it's you know, you're, you're dehydrated kinda, and you're dehydrated, you just climbed a mountain. But I'm not the only person who's been dehydrated and just climbed a mountain and has to make a shot. But it is something that it takes a little extra mental kind of like discipline to think of that mental you know? fortitude yeah like okay my partner's gonna shoot first off you know like when my partner shoots i gotta be prepared for it so i don't blink yeah. you know, and then miss which you know luckily eric wasn't running some <coughs> espressors break <laughs> yeah uh cough cough exactly good point check um, out episode 76 what but you do it you allude to the spotter thing are most guys like in in your professional career most guys, when they're spotting, are they utilizing? Are they both looking through a rifle scope? Or are they utilizing like a uh, rifle scope spotter with a reticle in it that's similar, at least MRAD, MRAD? Or it can all vary. In my experience, everybody's been shooting. That the guys I've been working with is all it's all mills, mm-hmm. and everything's more or less kind of standardized that way. Yes, you might have like a different reticle and say the spotting scope, but it's still in mills, mm-hmm. so you can still you know communicate. But mission will kind of dictate maybe 
hey, we're not going to carry, you know, a spotting scope. It's just too much weight or it doesn't really call for that. So you might have, you know, maybe, maybe two guys on class um, through a rifle scope. Or maybe you only have that one guy and the other guys maybe pulling security for him. So it's, I kind of, I kind of ha- hate to say, you know, it kind of all depends, but it kind of, you know, it most means, things, yeah. most <laughs> things do. We've heard it but, depends yeah. on this podcast a but time no. or two. So, so, but like that being said, again, whether it's, you know, two guys on glass, which can be preferable. I mean, especially if you don't want to carry that extra weight, have the time to set it up and things like that. Or maybe the position doesn't dictate you, you know, you're able to get, get on a spotting scope. Or, you know, you, instead of taking a tripod and the spotting scope, maybe you're going to take, I don't know, extra ammo or maybe some different, you know, communication stuff or things like that. Mm-hmm. So, again, in my experience, there's been certain instances where we only have the um, engagement team might only be one person with another guy, I guess, on security. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, he's really not focused on what's going on here. He's kind of focused on what's going on back there. So instead of having a spotter and, you know, a shooter, now you're just down to a shooter. And that guy's then kind of got to be his own spotter then. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And which, which a lot of that information in the reticle can really help you. If yeah, you're I'm the, sure. Yeah. You know, applying proper fundamentals to your position and everything where you should be able to get back on target quickly enough to see that impact or miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you can know what you're doing and, and apply it without having someone tell you that. Yeah. I'm so back and forth on it, man. It's like... I like, I don't know, like I've shot Vortex Extremes and, you know, gone hunting and stuff like that with different, different reticles. It's, it's kind of tough to figure out like which one. I think you're I back like and forth most. because it is situational. It so is it's situational, like, so if, if yeah. I'm doing this, then I want this. I always, if I'm doing this, everybody you know, always looks for like the end all be all right. So like the, the reticle is like, oh, if I get this reticle, I'll do everything. And it's like, you can't really yeah. do that. You know, yeah. it's kind of, I mean, you can get a reticle, you can do anything with really any reticle, you know, yeah. it's just. It'd be like saying I want one gun to do everything. Right, like yeah, three hundred short mag. But outside of that, <laughs> God, you guys, oh, everyone, I'm getting tired. Of it. <laughs> I do have a question. Yes, about the the horse, and I think Ruben, maybe you kind of touched on this, and and so, or, or maybe you touched on it completely, and I, it went over my head. But so the horse, it seems like just a super robust BDC, right? In a way, kind of, yeah, kind yeah, of, in a way. Does it? work best or is it optimized for like a certain cartridge or a ballistics curve then and i know you were talking about 308s and 300s and 65s and stuff like that i mean is 30 that caliber yeah okay i want to say cal- okay is what he was best designed around was that so okay like like this 308 you could say but yeah so best designed around that caliber gotcha but then so, but he can be utilized you know for anything really okay. but i believe it was designed specifically around that I, and the, you know. Yeah, and the beauty of it is that you can go back and true it, right? Like if you had a, you know, an an AR-10 or whatever in 308, and you were shooting 168s or 175s, there's going to be very little that you need to change about the reticle. Okay, if right. you're shooting a six Creedmoor with it, you're going to want to go in and true everything up and make sure that, you yeah. know, and, and in that when case, you say change the reticle. You can't go you can't in physically change it, but, but you're just changing what holds out what. Corresponds well, to what? Yep, and so like there, it gets into the weeds a little bit. Um, Justin would probably know it a lot better than I do, but if you were looking at like let's just say you determined that the wind value was five miles an hour for a three hundred eight with a common, you know, common you know bullet weight that you would shoot like one sixty eight, one seventy five, whatever, and now you go to like a six Creedmoor, and now your wind value might be. It might be, or you know, it might be a four mile an hour with a three hundred eight, but now it's a five mile an hour wind 
with a six Creedmoor, something like that, right? Those numbers are just thrown out there. But as you change the cartridges, go to a more efficient cartridge or a less efficient cartridge, those time of flight dots are going to change. Obviously, it's a time of flight dot. It's not a, that's why it's not called a wind dot is because it's not a constant thing. It's going to change depending upon what cartridge you use it for. So it's based on the bullet's time of flight at that distance. And so, yeah, you know, it does work really well with that, like, like I said, 308, something like that, where you, you mount it up. And because of like a 223's ballistic curve being very similar to that, and again, average ballistic curve out to that distance, like six to 800 yards, it, it actually works out really well. It's very little that you need to change. Now you go to something that's a pushing, like a, a 300 wind mag pushes in many instances the same bullet that you would push with a 308. It just does it a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So now some of those things are going to change a little bit. That uh, rapid engagement uh, technique using the, the value or the, the features above the, the the horizontal stadia, you know, you might, if you were using a, a ranging function of that and then going to a quick mill hold, your mill hold will be different because the 300 wind mag would be more efficient than a, a 308. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so, so it, it is designed around a lot of those cartridges that we know and love that are very common. So that that's kind of where, where we're getting at with that. Cool. And I will say this too. I mean, like you, you guys kind of ask, you know, about like a be all end all reticle and like, no, it's, it's really not. None of them are be all end all. Like the B, the dead hold BDC is not a be all end all. Cause if you're going to go shoot a PRS match, then, I mean, then in that sport, the EBR two C is actually the, the top reticle, mm-hmm. which will probably transition to like an EBR seven C, but the most desirable in that sport, you know, unless these guys are using PRS as a way to practice and stay sharp for their professional career, in which maybe they're required to use like a H59 or a Tremor 3, mm-hmm. the most efficient tool for that job would be like an EBR7 or uh, an EBR2. Because you're trying to be more precise while still being fast? Or, or Yeah, so speed and accuracy or speed and precision are very important. A lot of times guys aren't, you know, there might be a stage at a 10-stage PRS match, there might be one stage where you have to mill your targets. Most of them, they're going to let you get out your, your Fury 5000s and, you know, range targets and put them on a range card before you actually go on the clock. I see. So that rapid engagement, unknown distance target thing isn't as much of an issue. So And it's clutter. So it, it also right. fills up all of these quadrants that you might need to use to see the target more clearly. Okay. So it would be it would be in that particular case unnecessary clutter. Yeah, and Whereas in and another think, case, in another case, it's okay. No, I need that there. Yeah, absolutely. And those time of flight dots are actually very large. So if you're looking at it, and if you're you know if you're looking on our website or whatever, you can pull up an image of the reticle. Those time of flight dots are very large, uh, and they're designed for the size target that you're you know that that scope was designed to be engaging with. Hmm. So and that being said. When he's talking about like a larger, you know, dot, it's going to be a little bit harder to pick up your impact. So to make that correction, I mean, you could be obscured by those wind dots. So you can't even, I mean, you may shoot and be like, all right, where did I actually hit? When in actuality might be obscured by one of those dots. Oh, interesting. If you're using that dot as a gross aiming point and your impact was still within the size of the dot, but if the target was smaller than the size of the dot and you weren't able to see that miss, that's where it's problematic. Hmm. That's interesting. That's almost like a double-edged sword. Yeah. It is. And that actually only occurs if your target is too small, right? But Mm -hmm. if you're shooting, again, to go back to the size target that that reticle was intended to be used for, then that's never an issue. Right. 
Noted. How about that? Yes. Yeah. Noted. Much Noted. like much like a lot of things within shooting optics, if something was designed for a certain application, that's don't fault the guy who designed it when it doesn't work for a different application that's completely irrelevant or completely different. Yep. You know. No, that's true. Yeah. I was trying to think of a car reference. That's kind of why I was sitting there with a blank stare for a while. <sighs> I kind of thought of one, but it'd be like, there's no end-all, be-all enthusiast car, as much as everybody will disagree with me, because everybody has their own favorite enthusiast car. Somebody, somebody might be like Plymouth Hemicuda, and then another guy who goes to the racetrack and likes curves and like braking and stuff, um, not E-A-K-I-N-G, but like you know, like slowing down, mm-hmm. you'd be like, um, no, probably something that isn't designed for the drag strip. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's like, there's different cars for everything. Sorry, that was a stretch. Mark, when, really are hmm? when are you question? getting an AR? When are you getting an AR? Pardon? You heard me. When's that going to happen? Soon. <laughs> All right. Did you get your gas tube that you said you needed three months ago yet? Yeah, it's coming. It's Amazon. last calls on that note last calls that was your last call you already used it no I want a different one fine you can have a different one can I go yeah we gotta tell Justin about last calls Justin we're gonna bring it in for a landing and you're gonna go last just so you know and so Justin was nervous before he went on this it's not that scary is it well it's just not when you're talking in an empty room when you just consider like hey these, these four guys you know here Five, <laughs> MC Ryan's over there. But at the same time, you kind of got. Yeah, I'm not a big crowd guy. Well, he's not a talker. No, but you know what? You are a talker, and I think it probably didn't take long for you to get comfortable and go. Well, I realize I'm the smartest guy in the room, so <laughs> I kind of got a leg up on mm-hmm. this great group. last but call. I could, mark see be, I could see how that would be intimidating because it's like, geez, I got a. I gotta, you know, kind of carry the baton here for all these three morons. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, Mark, okay, here. All let's, right, here's here's let's my without a real one. Here's my last call, and part of this comes from when Ruben was kind of uh, running through the horse reticles with me, and then this conversation as well. I remember the first time I saw that thing, I was like, and I mean, like even this reticle is like, you know, there's a lot going on here. When I saw that thing, I was like, you got to be kidding me, but. With some explanation, it makes sense. It's extremely practical. And I'm not going to compare it to a minivan, even though minivans are extremely practical. Oh, my gosh. Please don't. Because that would just ruin it. Okay. But, um, you know so it's not the minivan of reticles, but they're cool. And they, God, Jim, you're just cringing. You hate every second of I'm this. Sorry. You hate minivans. Yes. Anyway, super practical, super fast, purpose-built. I really want to run one a little bit more, as it's mm-hmm. intended. Mm-hmm. It's the Subaru Baja Turbo of reticles. That's a better It's not for everyone. <laughs> it's a sedan and a truck mixed together, and it's fast. So it's everything that you would ever want. Yeah. But some people won't like it just because they don't like the way it looks. What you said. That's my last call. I feel good. Now I got a proper no, you need car to, reference you need in. To, are you sh- I needed that. I was waiting for it. I was planning on a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Stuff within, you know, within shooting and within everything in life is, is you have to look at application, look at your needs. Ultimately, you need to determine that there is no be-all, end-all for anything, uh, unless, of course, you're talking 300 wisdom, which I think Mark is going to stand by that one, so I'm just going to assume that you're sticking with that. I'm surprised I, that you've caved on that. 
some well, people some people can test that. You'd be surprised. But yeah, look at you know know what know what you want to do or what you want to accomplish before going out and you know spending a bunch of money on stuff that you might end up not needing or buying something that you that wasn't the right uh, product for that application. Now you have to go rebuy that product. Uh, you know, whether we'd be talking about shooting three gun or hunting or shooting competitively or, you know, uh, to all the men and women, you know, use our product in uniform um, or any type of product out there. You know, you, you, you oftentimes need to know what you're going to be doing with it right before you go and buy it. And so I think ultimately the, the stuff we've talked about today, if you know what you're doing and, it, and have determined that you're going to need that information in a reticle, then uh, you'll be really happy when you hit the range with it because it's going to make your life real easy. Good one. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to stick with that one. It's right. really good. You made it seem like you didn't have anything, and then you did. Yeah. Sandbagging. Hmm. I, did I just insult you something? Heck of a thing. Okay. No, no, you're good. You look sad for a second. I was Justin? impressed with myself. What do you got to bring us it's home? It's pretty much been said. <laughs> But no, everything has like its pros and cons. And I hate to say like cons because I, I don't mean in a negative, you know, way or anything, but it, it's exactly what it is. You just got to find out what the pros and cons are and what you need to utilize it for. So everything has its certain applications. That's why there's, you know, how many different reticles on the market today. So many. Exactly. Many. And hopefully reticles. this kind of cleared it up for some of those out there. Hopefully so. Well, uh, for those listening, if we haven't helped you, if we just confused you more, uh, feel free to hit us up with questions. Uh, you can always call us, email us, hit us up on social media. Happy to discuss further these different reticles with you. Uh, or if you have any suggestions for other future podcasts on reticles and things like that, we're happy to do that too. Otherwise, thanks for listening. And if you Tell find us- yourself in South Central Wisconsin and yes. you would like to have this stuff explained to you in person... We are more than happy to do it. We've got the uh, old projector slide things to put over the paper for the you. Trans- the, transparencies. the transparencies. The transparencies. They help. We'll be fully <laughs> transparent with you. My new last call. Uh, transparencies aren't dead. <laughs> <laughs> well said, sir. Everybody, happy hunting and shooting out there. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.